Here we are. It is week three in our study in the book of James. We are looking at a series that we're calling Front Row Seat because James was the younger brother of Jesus. And if you will uh, just imagine what it would be like to be Jesus's younger brother, to watch him from the earliest of, of his days, go through all of the challenges of being a, a kid, being a uh, a teenager, young adult, um, making life decisions. He watched Jesus do all of that. And um, remember, chapter one, a couple weeks ago, was kind of an overview of what was to come in chapters two, three, four, and five. Well, we're going to be looking in James chapter three today. And here we find James taking that part of scripture where he talked about words and the stuff that comes out of our mouth, our tongue. And he, the uh, section of the scripture is called Taming the Tongue. Last week we talked about favoritism and how challenging it is because favoritism and preference is always functioning inside of us. And so for us to ever make a decision to do something other than what we want or what's comfortable to us requires us to um, you know, make a, a willful decision against what we want. Um, we're going to feel it. We're going to have to choose it. Um, we're going to have to be intentional about it. Well, here he comes to another thing that really um, can feel impossible, just like favoritism can feel impossible to somehow curb and not be guilty of. Here we find him talking about the words that come out of our mouth. And um, the key passage is the very first uh, 12 verses of what we're going to be looking at today. And the first observation we're going to see is that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is powerful. Let's read verses three through six. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Those are some pretty powerful words, and we find James comparing our tongue to um, the small things that control large things, uh, the horse the large horse that's controlled by the small bit in his mouth, um, the the little rudder that controls the large ship. And here he's talking about we've got this little thing, our words, our tongue, as and that which forms those words. It's so small. And sometimes we feel like, our, ah, it's just words. Um, it's just, it's just uh, you know, it didn't mean anything. Um, so we can think, oh, it's no big deal. But here we find James saying, well, the smallest little things can make the biggest difference. Even, the, even a forest fire can be set on fire, a whole forest by just one spark, because um, things can just get so out of control and words definitely follow suit in that. Um, you've probably heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And it's probably the biggest lie that's ever been taught to children. Um, and yeah, they, they say it on the playground to try to help you um, get over when, you know, little Billy on the playground said mean things to you and trying to tell you to, you know, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. 
Um, and yet we find that words um, can be so powerful, so destructive, and also so encouraging. Um, they're just, they're powerful in all directions and really um, are um, useful and, and then also very dangerous. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched how um, you know, the room that you're in and the group of people you're in, it's peaceful and everyone's having a great time. And then someone comes through with some harsh words or um, words out of anger or words out of jealousy, um, words of criticism. And all of a sudden, the whole room just comes crashing down in feeling and atmosphere. Um, words are powerful, especially when it's backed by attitude and and uh, whatever is involved there. Um, uh, you know, I, it's it's middle of January as we're sharing this, and so we just got through the Christmas holiday, and I was reminded, I watched the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, and there's a great scene in that film where uh, George Bailey um, has so much stress built up on him, um, he's just uh, come under the understanding that he has lost $8,000, and in that day and age, that was enough to bring him and his whole company to their knees, and he's so worried and stressed and he comes home after learning of this news and with all this stress on him, he walks into this house that's filled with his family, his wife and his children. They're singing Christmas songs or decorating the tree. I mean, it's like a joyful uh, moment that everyone likes to have during the, the holidays. And here we find George in his anxiety just suck the life out of the room. Let's take a look at this short clip and just watch how words changed everything about that room. Take a look. Hello, darling. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. How do you like it? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Did you bring the wreath? Yes, Daddy. Did you bring the Christmas wreath? What wreath? Was it the Merry Christmas wreath? Was it for the window? No, I was left at the office. Is it snowing? Yeah, it just started. Where's your coat and hat? Left them at the office. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. Must she keep playing that? I have to practice it for the party tonight, Daddy. Mom said we could stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I, I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burp. All right, tell me your excuse. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What, is it sore throat or what? Just a cold. The doctor says it's not. The doctor? Serious. Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. Said it's nothing to worry Is she about. running a temperature? What is this? Just a TC one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn up the place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Troy. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? 
Dad, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. Sorry, Mary. Janie, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I... You go on and practice. Pete, I owe you an apology, too. No, I'm sorry. What do you want to know? Nothing, Daddy. What's the matter with everybody? Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you? Mary. Isn't that amazing how words can do such damage to people so quickly. Um, and uh, you've probably experienced moments similar to that. Um, it's, uh, I've, I've watched how words, when used well and are controlled, can really calm down a situation. Um, everyone's kind of all up in arms. They're worried about something. Maybe there's some fighting. There's some tension going on. And here we find someone who is wise and has the ability to um, calm the situation down. Their words are like um, balm um, and it's healing and it comforts and it calms the situation. Um, words can have a lot of power in stressful moments. Uh, maybe you've had powerful words come at you in unexpected times, times when you were just kind of going along and someone says, my, you sure are smart. My, you, you sure look good today. Man, your eyes, I've never seen that color before. You know, something like that. It's just amazing how powerful a compliment can go, especially when it's coming from an unexpected uh, source at an unexpected time. And, and a person can ride for years sometimes on a compliment that's delivered at just the right moment um, when they needed it. Um, there's a poem I found, and I thought it was uh, pretty powerful. Powerful, um, and it's it's a poem about the power of words. It's by someone named Omkar Atali. I want to read it. Words can make one happy. Words can bend one's mind. Words can make one grumpy. Words can make one kind. Words can illuminate a man. Words can make one weep. Words can hurt so much that a man cannot even sleep. Words can hide the truth. Words can strike the heart. Words can provoke the youth to make a revolution start. Words can give one freedom. Words can push one to heights. Only words have such powers to separate wrongs from rights. Words are more than missiles that can make one just die. But words, if hit, cause much damage that makes one forget to try. 
Words before being spoken are under our total control, but after we speak the words, we fall under their control. Um, I especially like that last stanza. I'm going to read it again. It says, words before being spoken are under our total control, but after we speak the words, we fall under their control. Um, I'm sure that all of us are guilty of using words and in a way we wish we hadn't, in a, in a way that we um, regret that they came out of our mouth in the way that they did. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that old illustration about a, a tube of toothpaste. And I've seen someone hand someone a tube of toothpaste before and said, I want for you to empty all the contents of that you know, toothpaste out onto the plate. And so they quickly, you know, squeeze it out. It takes a minute or so, and pretty soon they got the thing all emptied. And then they say, but here's the real challenge. I want for you to put all that toothpaste back into the tube. And of course, none of it will go back in. And what a great illustration about how words, after they're spoken, are so challenging to ever fix maybe the damage that has come as a result of them. Um, and so that, that brings us to the second observation that James gives us, and that is that the tongue is untamable. The tongue is untamable. Um, have you ever found yourself saying the wrong thing? the wrong time? Uh, how about saying something that you wished you could take back? Um, the control of our words is impossible in our human effort to do so. To try to control, to try to tame our tongues and the words that come out of our mouth is so challenging um, if we try to do it in our own human strength. Uh, but let's read what James has to say about how untamable the tongue is. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and 7 and 8. It says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So we find here a lot to talk about in how um, unruly and untamable our tongue is. It talks about, he starts off by talking about that you ought not to aspire to be a teacher or someone who uses words a lot. Um, someone who's kind of in charge of being the communicator. Communicators and teachers are going to be held to a higher level of accountability purely because they come from an authoritative point of view, typically. Also, because they've got so many words coming out of their mouth all the time, they're sure to say something wrong. They're sure to not have the right take on something um, from time to time. And so because of this, you know, James says, if I were you, I wouldn't want to be a teacher. If I were you, I wouldn't want to be trying to use my fancy words all the time because you're going to be held to account for the words that you say. Um, this includes those who think they have something to say and they do so constantly. Think of social media. Think of people that uh, sit there at their computer all day long and just form opinions about everything going on. Um, they're aspiring to be teachers, aspiring to make a difference with their words. And there is going to be accountability there too. I think we all are um, potentially um, guilty of using our words idly or being quick to spout off our opinions. Um, 
Communication and teaching is not something to strive for. It's something to be fearfully called to. If you are a teacher, if you are a communicator, if you're one who uses your words, maybe you're a counselor, maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're someone who uses your words to make a difference in other people's lives and situations, I want to caution you to make sure that you recognize the high calling and the accountability that you have before God with the words that you say. It's something to be fearfully called to, not something to go after or strive for. Um, Mistakes will be made through our speech. We just have to recognize that. Uh, mistakes will be made through our speech, through the things that we say. In fact, James says, if you never mess up in the use of your words, you're a perfect man. If you never mess up in your words, you are a perfect man. Basically saying it's easier to follow Jesus in our actions um, than it is through our words. It's easier for us to, um, you know, somehow keep ourselves from this sin or that sin. Um, um, trying to keep yourself from murdering somebody or keeping yourself from cheating on your spouse or whatever it might be. You might be able to hold yourself back from something in a physical way, but man, try to control your words and follow Jesus, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, that's a, a whole lot more difficult. Um, certain emotions that come across our lives um, make our words more slippery out of our mouth. You know, anger, sadness, fear. These are emotions that come over us that cause things to come out um, in ways we wish they didn't when we are in those kinds of scenarios. Um, even, even a situation that involves you know, joking, uh, maybe some jovial humor. Um, you know, I, I have found it easy to enjoy using um, self-deprecating humor where, you know, I'm making fun of myself and, um, you know, kind of pointing out the obvious um, shortcomings that I have. And if I'm, if I can laugh at myself, then, you know, it kind of calms things down or, uh, you know, makes everyone else feel like they can uh, share and open up too. But what I've found is that sometimes when you're using self-deprecating humor, um, you can have a tendency that it slips over onto the other people around you that maybe have the same struggle or a situation. Or, you know, I can remember times when, you know, Danita and I are there in some sort of a gathering playing cards or a game or whatever. And and people are joking and having fun and pretty soon you realize, well, I'm, I'm not only making fun of me, but I'm making fun of her and I'm throwing her under the bus too and um, realized, man, I think I might have went a little bit too far and had to go back and apologize for some of those words. It's, it's easy, um, depending on your emotional situation, for the words to slip out of your mouth. Now, James paints a pretty grim picture about the ability to tame your tongue. Um, in, in fact, he, he says it's going to be you're going to be held accountable for your words. Um, he says it's impossible to control your tongue. It's a losing battle. If you could do it, you would be a perfect man. Um, and then he he says these things, almost making you feel like you're off the hook because this one is impossible. It's impossible to be perfect in this way, and so maybe I don't need to worry about it. Maybe I just have to identify or agree with the fact that ah, it's impossible to control my words. Um, I hope I can do better, but it's impossible. And so we let ourselves off the hook. But suddenly James takes a hard turn here and he begins to make a case for this last uh, 
observation that I have, and that is that the tongue is evidential. It's a word we don't use very much, but what it basically means is that the tongue is like a window into something else. It's, it's an evidence of something else that's going on inside. Your tongue and the words that you use lend us insight into something deeper. It's like a portal. Your tongue is like a portal. Um, and we're going to find out what it's a portal to here as we look at some scripture. So let's read verses 9 um, through 11. It says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been in, made in the similitude of God, or in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Um, what he's saying here is that our tongue becomes an evidential tool of what's really going on inside. Um, he's, he, he gets us to think about our um, source, are uh, where are the words coming from? Um, he goes on, he says, you know, we bless God and we curse man. We have blessings coming out of our mouth and we have cursings coming out of our mouth. And he said, this shouldn't be so. All of a sudden, we're back to being held accountable for our words. He's saying, you um, ought not have blessings and cursings, worship and, um, and putting other people down coming out of your mouth. What he's saying is like that defies nature. Out of a fig tree, um, you know, you have a certain kind of fruit coming out of it. Out of a water source, you have one certain kind of water coming out of it. Everything in nature says this is coming out of you and it's evidence of what's inside of you or what you're made of. Um, and so here we find um, actually James here seems to be quoting his older brother Jesus. Um, and I want to go back to Jesus's words when he starts talking about fruit and where it comes from and how it's evidence of what's inside. Let's take a look here. Um, Luke 6, verses 43 through 45, you're going to see some very similar language. James is probably writing stuff down when he hears Jesus' talk and it comes out in his letter. Let's see. It says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather the figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings um, forth evil. And then here's the verse. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So here we find Jesus saying, if it's coming out of your mouth, it's because it's coming out of who you are. It's coming out of what's in the deep recesses of who you are. Um, I've recently uh, been watching some great marriage material by a communicator named Paul Tripp, um, and he defined the heart this way. The heart is the, it's the causal core of your personhood. Let me say that again. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. The word heart um, is rarely, if ever, used in the Bible to reference your physical beating heart. But rather, it is speaking to this core personhood 
of who you are. That, that the heart is what makes you think and what makes you feel and what brings conviction out of you. It is the core, the causal core of your person. What does that causal mean? It means the stuff that happens, the stuff that you do is caused by the core of your personhood. Now, all of a sudden, your words and your casual words and the words that come out when you're angry, all of a sudden, they're a deeper reflection on something far more important than just, oh, I made a mistake or, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But rather, it's an indicator of what's actually inside of your heart, your core personhood. You see, nobody and no circumstance cause the bad hurtful, unkind words come out of your mouth. Let me say that again. Nobody or no circumstance causes the bad, unkind words, hurtful words that come out of your mouth. A person doesn't do that to you. A circumstance doesn't do it to you. The words that come out, sometimes you get squeezed with emotions, with circumstances, by actions of another person, and it squeezes out through your mouth, the words that you regretfully want to take back. But it, it wasn't those things that were the cause of those things being there in the first place. Those things, those circumstances, the people that put pressure on you and squeezed it out of you, they didn't cause those feelings and those intentions, those impressions to be there in the first place. Have you ever had to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that? I've said that I don't know how many times. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But more accurately, I should or you should say, I wouldn't usually say what is actually in my heart about you. What we'd be saying there is that I usually have more restraint, but what actually came out is what's truly inside in my impression about you and your character. And the things that you do to me make me feel this way. Um, we're not very honest very often about what is inside our hearts about people and circumstances. People will say things out of the pressure and the stress and the circumstances. Maybe if they get some alcohol in them, all of a sudden they're a little bit more loose-lipped and then you start to see some of these things come out. Um, maybe people, when they're in a joking way, all of a sudden they'll joke and a little hint of truth comes out. In fact, they say that in every joke they're is a hint of truth. And so that's something to be mindful of. So James and Jesus both bid us to heart work, not to taming the tongue work. If you try to go to work and say, man, I need to do better. I need to clean my mouth up. I need to stop saying, I need to stop joking about people. Um, and that's what you get out of this message. Well, you missed it because this, you know, Jesus nor James were saying, hey, you watch your mouth. What they were saying is, Go take a look at your heart. Go take a look at the core personhood. Go take a look at what's forming these thoughts about other people inside of you. Examine the source, our heart, our core personhood. You see, we don't do spiritual disciplines like, you know, reading our Bible and spending time praying. You know, we don't do that to be good, obedient Christians. We don't do that because our pastor encourages us to do it. We don't do it to check something off on our being a good Christian checklist. That's not why we do any of those things. We do those things core spiritual disciplines of reading our Bible and praying and giving and all that kind of stuff. Because what it does is that it shapes the core personhood. 
You see, the more scripture we put in, the core personhood is being changed. It's starting to think differently. Um, When we uh, spend time in prayer, the core personhood is being changed. When we spend time, even with giving, we got the the practice of tithing going on or, um, you know, giving to charitable causes, helping someone out in time of need. When we do those things, it's not that we get some sort of a a star up in heaven and we, you know, some, some jewel in our crown. What we do it is that it shapes the core personhood of who we are. It it causes us to realize that generosity is a better way to go and it makes us feel better and it and it, it and it changes who we are. It changes our core personhood. I often pray this and you've probably heard me pray it before. Lord, help me to think like you think. And what I'm really praying is, Lord, change my core personhood to be like yours. I I want to believe like you believe. I want to think like you think. I want for, you know, your intention and your perception of the people in my life to be my perception of the people in my life. May my words and my view of others become more and more lined up with Jesus's words and his view of others. And friends, when our core personhood changes, when our heart changes, pretty soon we're going to find that the words are not slipping out like they used to slip out because the words aren't there. Because our feelings about other people aren't vile or aren't demeaning, but rather we see them with grace. We see them with mercy. We see them the way Jesus sees them. And so it's not going to be natural knee-jerk reaction to just let some disparaging comment about our spouse come out of our mouth because we're seeing our spouse in the same way that Jesus sees our spouse. That does not happen by trying to control your tongue. He says it's impossible to to tame your tongue. But what happens is we start to be changed in literally the way we think about them and we start to see them the way Jesus does. The message was subtitled today, The Tongue. But it was purposely erroneously titled. It should have been The Heart. The heart. That is what this message is all about. And so I want to encourage you as we close in prayer is for you to say, Lord, I want you to have my heart. I, I, it's evidence that I have um, stuff inside of me that I don't want there anymore. It's ugly and it's come out by proof of my words, whether it's been in times of joking, times of anger, times where you kind of lost your cool. That's when it's been seen. And so would you ask the Lord to start to change your heart? And would you take some of the spiritual disciplines that you've heard preached a million times to heart and let it become heart changing? That's really the call today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take every heart of every person who's listening today. Lord God, would you help us to look beyond our words, but let those words that have come out of our mouth, the words that we wish we could take back, the words that are impossible to take back, Lord, would you take those moments right now and would you let the regret we feel of those words be fuel for a desire for our personhood to be changed, the core personhood, the causal 
personhood inside of me. Lord God, I pray that you would help me and all my friends to think like you think. Lord, help us to to literally see those in our lives with the same lens that you see them. Father, that just takes time of being with you. That takes time of your word changing the way we think and the the way we view life. Lord God, we want to be more like you. We want to be made into your image so that the words that come out of our mouth, Lord, would um, be evidence of that same grace. So Lord, there may be someone here today that doesn't know what it's like to know you as Lord and Savior. They don't know what it's like for you to begin to change them. I pray, God, today that as they say yes to serving you and they invite you into their life, into their core personhood, um, when they say, Jesus, come into my heart, they're saying, Jesus, come into the core person of who I am and start to change me. Lord God, I pray that that would happen in this moment right now. Um, And Lord God, the rest who are somewhat convicted They realize that there's been a mirror shined on their heart through their words. And today, God, they um, want to offer their heart to you too. Um, Begin to change us, I pray. Amen.